0: Hi folks, Jean here and welcome to today's episode of Have You Ever Read? This week I'm speaking to my friend, Pastor Paul Conadue. Pastor Paul recently started a church in Los Angeles, California called Impact Global. We sat down to talk about his book of choice, Marks of a Movement by Winfield Bevels. Unlike previous books on the podcast, this is a history book, but as ever, the content is still great. Marks of a Movement is a forensic examination of the origin and growth of the Methodist Church and its founder, John Wesley. It's particularly helpful for leaders within the church, but equally important to those of us with no formal leadership position. If you have never read a book on church history, then I hope we are able to convince you to dive in as you listen to, have you ever read, Marks of a Movement with my friend, Paul Connolly everyone and welcome to today's episode of have you ever read today i'm joined with my friend paul um, and we've known each other for a few years um but i'll let you introduce um i'll let him introduce himself to you today so paul do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself who you are yes what you do in life and how do i know you
1: (laughs) so my name is uh paul you can call me pastor paul you know some people like to call me apostle or prophet You know, I I don't really mind. Um, But um, I am based here in Los Angeles, California. um, And I am a pastor of a church which uh, we've just started here called uh, Impact Church Los Angeles um, under a movement um, called Impact Global. Um, We're doing our best to win souls, um, to build the kingdom of God, and to uh, uh, share the gospel with people and to help people to know that Jesus Christ still saves even till today and um god loves all and um yeah so that's what we're really uh, about i um have known uh gene for i think 11 uh, 11 years right
0: yeah something yeah, like that actually, could be longer uh, actually 2011 okay. yeah
1: 2011 to uh to, to now yeah. yeah in fact um you know gene had a major impact on my life when i oh, uh, really? came to know the lord yeah you know we uh we had a camp here in the united states uh you came and, uh, you, and I believe it was Micah. Yeah. yeah. And you guys led worship. You guys encouraged us, man. It was so powerful. And, uh, you know, since that moment, my life has never been the same again. And, uh, I remember that camp actually, it was as though a fire was lit up in my belly. And, uh, since then it's never been quenched by the grace of God. So impact movement, which is the movement that I'm the founder of here in Los Angeles, um, kind of has a, same. uh, the same um idea in terms of being able to spark a fire also in people uh to rise up and to do more for god so that's me (laughs) (laughs) i actually don't know what to say when they say introduce yourself i'm like okay.
0: (laughs) yeah you said a lot there you said a lot Um, (laughs) (laughs) so you mentioned okay you mentioned two things that i want to dive into a bit um before we talk about the book you said we've mentioned for 11 years um so how did you come to faith like um Mm -hmm. Well, I know that it wasn't at the camp that you first became saved, but then, how? What was your journey? How did you come to faith?
1: So, I gave my life to Christ in 2008, and um, I have always been the type of person who's had a very curious mind. Um, I always like to, you know, know the details of things, ask a lot of questions. So that's kind of how I actually came to faith in 2008. I remember, um, I, you know, I was around maybe let's say 15, 16 years old, um, and I was just asking a lot of questions. Um, you know, in terms of what is life? What are, we, you know, why are we here? You know, just asking various people, trying, I, I don't know, it was like a philosophical journey,
0: yeah. I guess.
1: <laughs> um, you know. And so um I, I remember I would ask my parents so many questions to the point where sometimes they'll fall asleep. I'll wake them up, and I'm like, hey, I still got more questions. And you know, one thing led to another. And my stepdad actually at the time um told me about Jesus you know and once he uh told me about you know he started telling me more and more about jesus christ it was as though was something clicked, and i just knew you know um i had to give my life to jesus so i asked him about it i'm like how do i i mean how do i come to know jesus christ how do i how do i enter into a relationship with him and he says well you can't be doing the stuff you're doing you know (laughs) because at that time i was partying you know i was going out you know doing all kinds of things that we shouldn't be doing right (laughs) uh, but um yeah so um I remember um, I went to church uh, the following Sunday. Um, The pastor made an altar call. I lifted up my hands. I went up. I gave my life to Jesus. And um, the the amazing thing about this whole uh, uh, situation is not, not obviously, you know, giving my life to Christ. But the night when I went home, I had a powerful vision or an encounter where I saw myself with a scroll in my hand or some kind of, you know, some articles in my hand. And I had a suit on. And I was walking on the globe going to preach the gospel and to tell people about jesus and uh that sparked the fire in me and uh you know that's been uh my mission ever since you know to tell people about jesus
0: great 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 and you mentioned that you're a pastor um yes are you full-time or are you working on this as well as pastoring or what or, or you know
1: no so um it depends on how you want to classify it <laughs> full-time <all> right? right <laughs> i'm doing the work of god full-time for yeah. sure um but yes, I do, um, I guess uh, at this moment in my ministry, you would uh, refer to me as what they call a bivocational minister, yeah. uh, in that, um, you know, uh, I, I have a profession outside of uh, the ministry that I do. So I preach, I teach the word of God, I travel and do all of that. Um, I have a podcast, different, uh, you know, content for ministry, but at the same time, I'm also a, a rising lawyer.
0: Okay. You said, uh, what, time, what time did you use it? By vocational okay can i just call it lay? i mean <laughs> that's what that's i know what I, hey, yes lay. <laughs> and that's i know us, <laughs> that now leads is. us on nicely to the book because in the book um yes. they do refer to it as lay as well so but they i, do, I do, just, do. just you're right you're right keep it in there i usually use the, the
1: the more theologically sound uh term for for the new generation i guess
0: okay <laughs> but I, I i
1: prefer lay as well okay for lay.
0: Cool. Um, so just now we might as well start talking about the book, right? So what book have you chosen today and why?
1: So um I've chosen Marks of a Movement. Um I believe that this is a powerful book that will encourage a lot of people, especially leaders who are listening, uh and will help them to kind of find a blueprint as to what God is calling them to do. In fact, just a you know, quick story about how I, I encountered this book. I was in a season of my life when I was starting, you know, in fact, uh where I was asking God, you know, God, give me a book in this season that will instruct me or direct me or help me to know what you want me to do. I had a powerful dream where I was, um, you know, in, in the dream, I was in a, kind of like, it was like a whole bunch of political candidates or people who are really shaping, uh, you know, the society that they lived in. And all of a sudden, um, there was a president in there and the person who was the president took, it was as though they took some kind of anointing oil or some kind of, um, uh, how do I put it? It was anointing oil, but then it was also fire in the flask that they had and they poured it upon me. And the re- I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very, I'm, I'm trying to be vague for specific reasons, because, okay. you know, I don't know where people lean in terms of the political spectrums. So. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't want you to lose followers, <laughs> but anyways, so, so what it was was that in, in the, uh, in the dream, it was it was as though I was being anointed for my uh for my time. Right. That's pretty much what the dream was. I woke up, I was praying, and the Holy Spirit led me to this book. And interestingly, John Wesley was someone who was also anointed for his time and for his season. And you know, I received a prophecy about how you know, uh, there was an anointing that was leaving a great Methodist preacher that was coming upon my life and, you know, etc., etc. So that's kind of how I ended up encountering this book. And uh, this book is a lot about John Wesley. So I received the prophecy as well in that season about yeah. how there was a great anointing from a Methodist preacher that was coming upon my life.
0: Okay. And,
1: you know, I ended up uh, encountering this book. And this book is a lot about, you know, the uh, Methodist movement is also, you know, or the good things I should say
0: about the movement. Good, good, good. Um, you know, when you told me that you wanted us to do this book, right, I was happy for yeah. two reasons, right? One, oh. because <laughs> because I was looking for a history book. Um, mm. I think that it's important, and I think uh, many of us Christians tend to not look back at what has gone mm. before us. We kind of that's live right. our Christian- Christianity in the now. And I think mm. during this season, especially during the lockdown, that's one of the things that I think the Lord has placed in my heart to actually get mm. a, to look back. And I think looking That's back right. does two things. Well, one major thing is that it, del- it, it, it One puts us in, um, puts us instead, right? Like we understand where Sorry. we sit in this, yeah. in the in the in the history in time, right? And it also yeah. delivers us of um, what you, what we currently what we know of what we've been taught as our mm. current state delusions, right? You always we tend to think as Christians that how we are interpreting the Bible today is how yeah. it's always been interpreted. But then, right. especially in the gray areas where it's not entirely clear. Mm. And I think history allows us to look back yeah. and to see that actually, although the pages of the Bible, I mean, the text hasn't changed. There are some things that we might be doing where the text isn't direct. It's not like fornication, but, you know, in the gray areas where we think we're correct because yeah. of our, our, the, the right. times that we're living in. But actually, when you mm. look back, it's not the case. I mean, I'll yeah. give you an example, right? Something that I read, I, I mm-hmm. I'm not, we've not spoken about this, um, but it's something I was thinking about recently, so like with the um, Mars Hill podcast, which I'm sure many of yeah. us have heard. One thing yeah. that actually really changed me about from that podcast um, was this: um, they were, it was just a passing comment that they made about the Azusa Street revival. And that guy mentioned that William Seymour, whenever the Holy Spirit turned up in the room, because he didn't want the attention to be on him, he came off the stage. That's right. And I realized that, oh, that's very different from today. Very different. Very, very different. Mm. (laughs) And like, not with any criticism or anything like that. Yeah. But then it gave me the idea and perspective that, okay, there is ministry where actually Christ is the center yeah, in the yeah. absolute way, like you can actually that's leave right. the stage and um right. and and the attention cannot be on you and I think having these hi- different historical um um references or understandings fixes right. um our as we would say current state delusions. I hope that makes sense. so yeah oh, that's true. you know
1: what one of the what you're saying is so powerful in a sense that you know even when you look at the New Testament, for example there's no it, we're not given a blueprint or yeah. manual in terms of how to do church. It's more of standards okay yeah. a man of god must be this you know a man of one wife you know etc etc but there's nothing such as okay you go to church sing three worship songs you know after that you know uh, the preacher comes up to preach there's no there's no blueprint like that so books like these actually take us back yeah. to see what did the holy spirit do and how can he use us, you know, in in, 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 in this season yeah. as we connect to what he did before? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's very true what you're saying.
0: And then I would say, because I said there were two reasons why I was happy. My second reason mm. was that this book basically um, exemplifies what this podcast is all about, right? So my vision wow. for this podcast is that... it's prophetic. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> my vision for the podcast is that this will be a resource for the global church not just one denomination. Oh. And so here we are as two people who sit in the probably charismatic or pentecostal tradition. We're right. looking at a book which is about a Methodist the Methodist church yeah. written by a, a reverend minister from the Anglican church. How mu- really? it doesn't get much more global than that, right? Like that's the whole church. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful. All in one. So, as I said, when I when you told me about this book, I was like, "Yeah, this is it. This is what we're going for." (laughs) (laughs) So, thanks for this book. Let's do Um, it. So, do you want to give us um the readers, the viewers, listeners? Yeah, sorry, listeners, a little bit of um, (laughs) a a background to the book. Like, what is the book about? Because we've said a lot. You know, we've given them a lot to discuss.
1: Um, Let me go ahead. I just I don't want to butcher the guy's last name. Um, (laughs) So let me go ahead and find it real quick. Yes. Winfield Bevins. Bevins. All right. So he's the writer of this book called Marks of a Movement. And, um, you know, his whole idea in this is pretty much trying to find out how movements have changed the church. All right. And also to take what can we learn from movements that have changed the church in the past and apply it to today. So it's not like maybe he takes these movements and then all of a sudden, you know, the uh, principles that he brings about are archaic or something that we can't understand. No, his whole aim is how do we apply it to our society today in, you know, uh, in England, in America, in South America, wherever, right? And then he also tries to um, pretty much uh, show us the things that also killed those movements yeah. or affected those movements in the past. So it's a pretty, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a long book. It's only close to 200 pages maybe, but it has so much material that you have to go through it twice. And I apologize in advance if I'm not able to cover everything. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah. It's, 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 it's surprisingly, yeah, it's surprisingly comprehensive, but short at the same time. Short, sure, exactly. Um, yeah. so in terms of the structure, the way, um, He's a reverend minister. I think he's a doctor, mm-hmm. theologian. The yeah. way um, Winfield Bevins has broken up the book, is that he's done it in. Um, he's defined what Practical. he called marks marks of a movement, and right. then so let's we can call marks to, similarly mm-hmm. like to principles, different principles That's of right. a movement, and then he's broken it up um, into six different chapters, and then he covers That's each right. of the different marks which he thinks mm-hmm. classifies a movement, a uh, Christian movement specifically. Um, so yeah that's the structure of the book so what would you say was your um favorite chapter and why
1: my favorite chapter um i'm i'm kind of torn between two but um i'll say um the first one would be uh the discipleship systems the discipleships uh awesome awesome. i see i see maybe that was your favorite as well yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes you know because um you know one of the things that he said especially when it came to the wesleyan movement you know um was that John Wesley was such a great discipleship maker. You know, in fact, he compared John Wesley and George Whitfield, right? And um, I think one of the things that I I quite remember George Whitfield saying is that he says that one of the things that he regretted at the end of his life was that he did not keep the souls that he won like John Wesley did. Yeah. You know, John Wesley started to, I, I think they had three levels, yeah. if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. where there was a level, um, you know, where there was, a, I think, uh, the, the band, where yeah. it was just, uh, I think, five people, where they would meet weekly, they would talk to one another, and they would try to really get into the nitty gritty of each other's life. You yeah. know, uh what's what's going on? Are you living in sin? You know, and try to pretty much help you out. Then they had what is known as they, the class. And the class meeting consisted of, you know, sometimes twelve to maybe twenty people. And uh, what it'll be is, uh, 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 if if I'm if I'm wrong on on the terminology, feel free to let me know because I know you read it too. But the class, the class, pretty much would, you know, would would meet also weekly. But it'll consist of all the bands coming together. And then they had the bigger meeting, which I think I would call uh, like the gathering, right? Mm -hmm. Which was also once a week, but it it consisted of everybody in a class. So actually. Mm -hmm. In John Wesley's church, you were not a member unless you belonged to a class.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Unless you belonged to you know that that weekly meeting that consisted of you know various bands, let's say three to four bands coming together and and really receiving uh, a good sound teaching of the Word of God so that you will grow. And through that, you know, um, I remember uh, there was a quote in the book. Where he says that by the time that the government officials of England, uh, you know, kind of realized what was happening, John Wesley had like 20 to 30,000 members, you know, and, and he was literally converting everybody. I was like, oh, my goodness, this man is a uh, is, you know, mighty man of God. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so,
0: so you know, you're right. Um, this was also my favorite chapter in the book, because uh, as, as you said, it it was Firstly, was the comparison, like the exact same quote that you had about and from George Whitford. Reminded me of uh, Bishop Dagg, actually. Yeah. So, so what he he said, okay, so to step back so that uh, the audience understands what's going on, what um, Mm -hmm. Reverend um, Winfield was trying to say is that um, the church is built on two principles evangelism and discipleship. And he was saying Mm -hmm. that often what tends to happen is a lot of us focus on evangelism. And then right. he uses the example, um, he gives the quote that George Whitford gave, um, which Paul has mm-hmm. already recited, that it was one of his regrets that he was not able to create a system of discipleship. And one right. of the things that um, Reverend Wilmfield said that was um, for me quite, um, um, I don't know, I'd never thought about this in this way. But he said mm. the sole purpose of evangelism or the sole purpose of the Great Commission is discipleship. Right. And so any, right. any church that does one or the other is missing the point he was saying that it's two Mm. sides of the same coin and that he was making the point that he felt in the western church that we have forgotten the art of discipleship and one of the the problems is we're able to gather large crowds but then Mm. nothing goes forward Mm. with that because we don't know how to disciple and so i found it fascinating because for, for for all of my life knowing John Wesley I've always known that he preached like right He's, he w- mm. went on the circuits going from place to place but I didn't understand that actually the Methodist church was built on this class as you mentioned um class meetings oh. and band structures yes, the class meeting yeah That's that right. was the main the main thing that yeah. built the church um so yeah. yeah it was it was it was it was um interesting and then to your point about the band mm. I think what was most interesting for me is the questions that they asked at the band meeting. Yeah. So the band, deep meetings, yeah, the, deep, <laughs> the band meetings, um, they were the embarrassing ones. Yeah. Very embarrassing. So for the class meetings, just to go back a bit. Yeah. Um, sorry. I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs>
1: no, no, I love it. I love
0: the it. class meetings, right. They like um, Paul said, they were maximum of 20 people. Um, and, yeah. and they were mixed. So mixed class, mixed mm-hmm. gender, mixed marital status yeah. but with the the band meetings what you find is they were literally three to five people maximum and it was right. same gender similar yeah. uh, marital status and they will ask you like direct questions have you sinned to date like this week if you're yeah. if so what I've have been you been reading sinned? your bible <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and this was uh, like, what's, what's
1: up with your finances yeah it was
0: marriage? <laughs> <laughs> it was like proper proper accountability yeah. and i think yeah what was interesting about that was that it, it kind of means that you have no room to, to maneuver, right? If you, you're held to right. that level of accountability. And I think that's what sped up the discipleship process. Because... You, and I think...
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, go, go, go ahead, on. go ahead, sorry.
0: No, I was just going to... No, say- I'm
1: saying many of, many of his leaders actually came out of these class meetings. That's what a lot of, you know, that's what he also emphasized in the book there was, if you were, if you, you know, you did well in a, a, in a band, and you graduated, you know, to becoming a leader of a class, then you ended up becoming someone who could leave what they call the societies, which mm-hmm. is the bigger gatherings, you know, and, and being uh, in charge of, you know, different groups in different regions. In fact, I want to I um, uh, 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 read uh, a quote here that he mentions. I'm trying to uh, locate it here where he says, um, he says, he, uh, this is uh, Bevin's, uh, Reverend Bevin speaking. He says, he understood that disciples are made in community not in isolation, warning that preaching like an apostle without joining together those that are awakened and training them in the ways of God is only beginning children for the murderer. I mean, this is is John Wesley. That's how deep (laughs) this whole discipleship thing was in him. That uh, in fact, at one point he says also that I determined by the grace of God not to strike one stroke in any place where I cannot follow the blow. My goodness, when I heard that, I said, come on, God, you know, like, help me, you know, because sometimes it's true. You know, Jesus says, go ye therefore and make disciples, not make converts. Yeah. You know, we, we love to make converts, but we fail in making discipleship. And that's really where the church grows. And discipleship is made in community. And I've noticed that, you know, that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. It's easy to, to just go and preach and, then you know, after that leave, but, it's difficult to make disciples because you have to actually get into their life. You know, they have to see your life, even as a man of God, you know, and, 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 and sometimes it can get very, very nasty, you know?
0: So yeah, totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. And I think just on just one thing that I just remembered that, that, that uh, about the band structure was, it made me understand better James five sixteen. um, where you mm-hmm. confess your faults one to another, that you'll be healed. Wow. Because right. I think the system that they set up, I mean, a- apart from perhaps the Catholic church, which has regular yeah. confession, I don't yeah. think that there's another church that does this. And actually, we're probably missing something where we're not able mm-hmm. to openly confess our sins to each other and not just mm-hmm. like a general, oh, like that, that's the part that struck me the most, I guess. Yeah. And it made me, you know, assess myself, like, can I actually sit down with a group of people and confess my faults so, it, it so that I yeah. can be healed, right, for my own benefit right. yeah. and so that I can be a better disciple of Christ? It's, yeah, it was, it's, there was,
1: you know, I think I think the bands w- were intended to help with sanctification, Yeah, you know, like a sanctifying grace, you know, um, he says, yeah, the honesty and integrity of the bands is tremendously rare in our culture, yeah. even within the contemporary church, he says, through them, God ministered sanctifying grace in an in an intimate space. And that's really the purpose of the band is to sorry about that here for the noise there. Okay. <laughs> but um, um the purpose of the band was to sanctify you as a believer, is to help you to walk in holiness, you know. Because I remember um recently, um, in fact, it's interesting that we're having this podcast now because I'm I'm going to start implementing some of these was. You know, I, I remember there are people who've been coming to, you know, my church and um, I'll have like, you know, intimate counseling sessions with them one-on-one and just kind of talking to them. And I realized that, you know, there are people who come and, man, they seem so spiritual and, you know, they love the Lord. But, man, when you go into their lives, I'm like, Lord, we need something, you know, something needs to be done, <laughs> you know. You know and, and don't get me wrong. It's not like maybe I'm judging them, or whatever. But as a pastor, I must be concerned. You see yeah. what I'm saying? About the state of my flock. I mean, yeah. you shouldn't just come to church and lifting up your hands and, you know, and during the week in your life, you're doing things that I'm like, oh, no, like, like are, you, are you serious? Are you sure you're a Christian? <laughs> you know? So um, so I, I, I determined, I, I started to, you know, speak to a couple people that, hey, I'm going to start developing a lot of small, small, intimate groups where we can actually be very accountable to one another and help each other grow, you know, um, because I believe that's what the Lord wants us to do, you know.
0: So, so just taking a step back, right? I'm going to throw uh-huh. a curveball at you. Throw it. Throw so, it. <laughs>
1: hopefully,
0: I like get we're, it. we're saying this, right? Like it's all airy-fairy. It sounds wonderful. But the reality is in our modern, like this is a pushback, right? In our modern culture, how are we going to develop this level of trust amongst ourselves as Christians? Because we don't know people could be sitting in the meeting recording the conversation (laughs) next minute my business is on social media and i'm getting bullied at school university you know cyberbullying. you know how how practically can this be done
1: i think the great thing about this whole situation uh with the band was the fact that it was intended to be intimate and very private and i think as you know one of the things that we noticed about the band there was that even though they were small there were they actually you know one person was seen as a leader mm. you know to kind of manage that whole situation so i think in our general terms and applying that to our you know current situation is you know you would have to put in charge trusted people people who you as a leader you trust and and can you know those those are the type of people who can ensure that um you know whatever's happening here stays in here as the same goes, whatever happens in Vegas stays, Vegas, Vegas, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, whatever happens in a band stays in the band, right? And I think that's the blessing of having two or three people, right? right? Or actually maximum, I think it was three actually, yeah. uh, you know, three to five, five was the maximum. And yeah. then he, you know, it was no, no less than three. Yeah. So I think, I mean, with that said, I mean, if it's just three people and if let's say a word gets out, it can't be him or you know there's only two people that can be you know seen as okay how did this get out you know what I mean so then that can also uh help us to you know cut out those who you know are not fit to lead in that sense uh and you know are not fit to kind of um uh fulfill James (laughs) 516
0: and I think I think also um just to add to your point the band was like the final level in the church mm, structure as it were so You That's were great. supposed to be part of a what they called society, which is probably equivalent mm-hmm. to our regular Sunday service meetings. Yeah. Then yeah. you were in your class meeting, which is probably like mm-hmm. maybe a cell group or a home church. The and society, then, yeah. then you were inside the band. So it wasn't yeah. Yeah. any Tom, the Dick band, and yeah, Harry sorry. that just came from mm-hmm. the street and then joined this. Um, yeah. And one good thing, um, as Paul was mentioning earlier, that um, what... Uh, Winfield Bevins tries to do throughout the book is to make it practical. Is that he actually gives a, a template for how you can have a band meeting because he yes. says that he, uh, he he actually does it himself. Like after he mm. started investigating um, yeah. the Methodist Church, he decided that he was going to uh, implement it. And actually, one question he had, which I wanted to just chip in for our audience, okay. is when okay. <laughs> when they when you if somebody says like the the question could there could be sorry within the band meeting. The question was asked: Is there anything that you don't want to share with us today? And you could actually mm-hmm. say no. And then there's a section where they would just pray for that. That, that thing, particular that thing, thing, yeah. So yeah, if you are, and God, I think God, that helps. Yeah, yeah, I think that helps a
1: lot. You know, because sometimes it is true there are people who are going through certain things where they may not necessarily want to share. Of course, although we encourage them to share, we must also understand. You know, being on the other side and give people time. You know, to yeah. to grow, I think one of the things that uh, we fail to um, we fail to understand when it comes to discipleship is patience. Yes, patience is a major major fruit that is needed to be exercised when it comes to raising disciples. I mean, think about it. Jesus Christ was was with the, these guys for three years trying to raise them up as disciples. You know, and and sometimes what we fail to understand is that we think the disciples. You know, yeah, they came up the streets; they were fishermen, but these were Hebrew boys who. From at a certain age, they had been taught in the scriptures. The only reason why they ended up in the fishing business was because they weren't fit or qualified to, to learn under a, uh, a teacher or, you know, or a Jewish rabbi. So uh, what, what people need to understand is the context, right, in which the disciples are chosen. So if you look at it, if you look at Jewish history or the tradition, the young boys from, let's say, the age of 8 to 12 years old would go to, uh, uh, you know, uh, a school. And they would learn the scriptures. And at the end of that season, I think at the age of twelve years old, um, if you if you couldn't remember the scriptures or recite the scriptures thoroughly and clearly, you would end up being you know you 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 can't study under a rabbi. No teacher would choose you. You see what I'm saying? So you would end up having to go and you know support your family's business or whatever it is. So that's how we see even Jesus Christ at the age of twelve being able to recite scripture and ask all these questions in the temple. temple, So that's that's even though the disciples were the rejected you know ones yeah they still have some type of context through which jesus christ could still develop and still make them into you know fishes of men so uh, all that all that is to say that there was there was an element of also patience and, and working and, and growing them and grooming them and helping them to really understand you know and and that's what we have to do also when we're making disciples is to be patient with people yeah be patient with them and you know it takes time
0: totally agree so you've mentioned right Um, how the book has impacted your ministry you're literally about to start implementing some of the things you've learned but how would you say it's implemented your impacted your own personal walk with christ or your own faith um i
1: would say the way that has impacted my own personal walk with christ is to become um is to be connected more with the great apostles and 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 also be and how do i put it into understand more what the holy spirit wants to do in my time yeah you see the reason why these guys were effective in fact that my second favorite chapter is the apostolic leadership
0: yeah yeah
1: where um he talks about how you know an apostle is someone who's able to fulfill the mission that god has called them to fulfill and and someone who's able to also empower ordinary people right and then he he talks about the great apostles and talks about how their relationship with the holy spirit and i realized that you see the holy spirit is the master architect who is building his church today yeah and if you don't have a relationship with him in a deep way to understand the blueprint of what he wants to do you cannot do the work of god yeah you can't and and you know one of the things that the, the lord spoke to me in fact as i was reading this book was that he says that look when i've sent you to build something you're building the body of christ now if you haven't caught a vision or revelation of what my body looks like from me how can you build it
0: yeah yeah
1: and I'm like, man, Holy Spirit helped me. So it's helped me to really develop my relationship with the Holy Spirit and to, and to be prophetically led, even as I'm building my church. I remember, you know, um, there was a time we started, uh, in, you know, in a particular uh, place. And, uh, as we were building, I felt strongly in my heart that we needed to move into another building. Mm. I felt strongly in my heart, you know, the weekend where I felt like this is the weekend that God wanted us to move. You know, I, I found a place, but you know, I was a bit lazy or whatever. That weekend something happened. The, the the building that we were using ended up being shut down and we couldn't meet. <laughs> and I said, Oh Lord, have mercy. I'm gonna be obedient. So <laughs> the following weekend, you know, I moved us out of that building to a new place. And now, you know, by the grace of God, we're growing. Mm. You know, so so it's helped me to to be open to the moves of God and to be open to to being spirit led rather than you know, uh kind of having like, okay, this is my way, this is what I think, and you know, let's go.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, you've mentioned the key, I mean, the key point of this, this the whole thing. Yes. Because I think there's a tendency to, okay, think, we found a book like this, we've seen the history, let me implement it as it is here and now. But one of the things that you get um, from Reverend Bevins throughout the whole book is that actually there's the Holy Spirit. So it isn't a case right. of just copying and pasting what John Wesley um, has done. You actually That's need right. to be led by the Holy Spirit to implement it for our time and he mentions right. the fact that john wesley was able to f- use what had passed before stand mm. on the scriptural christianity that's a, a running theme throughout the yeah. whole book yeah. but then apply it to where he was um, at the time so and right. you can only do that if you're led by the holy spirit mm. so yeah come on. Um, this come is on. It. um so what would you say was um um a difficult thing or something challenging to accept from the book like you know I think that there's this tendency yeah there's this tendency to read a book and either love it or hate it but then yeah or to tell people you either love it or hate it but actually Mm -hmm. I think in as in most things in life there are things that when you read you think uh, I'm not too sure I agree with that or like I don't understand it or is there anything like that for you in this book
1: um hmm. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. That's That's a very good question. (laughs) I think um, for me, I think the part about how, you know, some movements ended up dying Mm -hmm. uh, by virtue of the fact that they became uh, institutionalized and secularized. Yeah. That was very difficult for me because, um, you know, it's like in a way the book kind of also gives the picture that, you know, the Holy Spirit is carrying this. But at the same time, it's also a system that's also built but then that system in itself can end up becoming something that actually makes the whole thing just about religion yeah. and rudimentary, yeah. you know? So I realized that, you know, it, it makes sense why you even see in the, uh, in the book of Acts how, you know, even at, at a point, it's like the leadership of the church changes, mm-hmm. you know, moves from Paul, uh, from Peter, sorry, then to James, then, you know, to, to various people down the line. And um, it, it, that was very difficult for me because I'm like, man, I've been a part of some churches that, has, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's like it started off as a movement, which is great, but then it's become so institutionalized that sometimes you're not able to, you know, to flow in the Holy Spirit or, or, or you know, or it's like everybody just knows what to do in the institution, but, you know, there's no spirit behind it, you know. Um, so that was very tough for me. And, and that's something that I prayed about. In fact, actually, I, when I got to that chapter, I prayed that Lord help me. Help me to not become so, uh, you know, institutionalized or so, so, uh, you know, dedicated to a system that I miss out on, you know, the move of uh, your Holy Spirit, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that is a major piece. And I think what the way Reverend Evans um, tries to explain that he mentions, mm-hmm. again, staying close to the Holy Spirit and then also right. maintaining right. the vision that you were called to fulfill. And ultimately, mm-hmm. In the what I mean, whatever we're talking about, when we're talking about the church, ultimately it is right. the evangelism of the church and discipleship. Actually, yeah. So Come as on. soon as you deviate from that, that and you focus mm. on the the structure, as opposed the to that, yeah. that's that's where you, you you get um that's
1: where it goes yeah
0: goes wrong. But I I had something that challenged me right, and I'm still not sure okay. about it. So mm. uh, this is again <clears> like you, it was in the um chapter when uh, he talks about why the Methodist church is different from what it was right? and he said the two problems in addition to the uh, secularization was educated Mm -hmm. clergy and then also um, the deviation from the maybe lower classes to more middle class upper class people Mm -hmm. so where Mm -hmm. I was challenged there was more if you move your focus to that right, and your church goes kind of loses. I think his point was that they lost their 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 way. Like they used to preach preach to everyone, but now they move to middle classes. So the That's question right. then becomes That's right. it's become like a society. Yeah, but then the question then becomes, how do those people get reached? That's the part that I found challenging, right? So my question so was: the
1: question then becomes, uh huh?
0: How do those people? How are those people reached? So they educated their clergy so that they could have conversations with people who were more educated yeah. and they started having maybe sermons that were related to politics and uh, various yeah. things yeah. so that is a criticism <clears throat> which i understand but then the question i had is so how do you reach the middle classes yeah how do you reach those people in that yeah, upper that would have that would have yeah. been attracted because of that uh, i don't know what do you think mm-hmm, on that mm-hmm.
1: for me so what i think is this i think that what we fail to realize is that in the body of Christ, there are many members, right? And God is is, is such that um, he's not calling us to be, let's say, specifically one particular way. There's some people who will be called to reach, let's say, uh, excuse me to use the word lower class, right? Yeah. People who be called to, um, you know, reach those who are in the down and out. But then there are also people who are called to reach those in the, Higher class, or in the upper echelons of society, whatever, but they can all be in the same church. It's all about you as the apostle who is, you know, uh, the, the the leader of this movement, you know, here on earth, to kind of see that and to allow people to develop in their individual callings and in their individual uh, giftings. So if you, if you realize that there, there's a section in your church where you know um, uh, they, they, they love to, let's say, reach the upper class or they have a grace to reach people at that level or maybe somebody who becomes a famous football star and you know he, those are the type of people he's interacting with, I think that you have to empower that person to be able to do what it is that God is using them to do while at the same time still maintaining the other aspect or the other side of the ministry. And, and, and it goes to say, it goes to also point out something that he, uh, Chris, uh, Mr. Bevins, or, you know, um, Reverend Bevins mentioned in the book, actually, where he said that the reason why sometimes God raises up other people is because, you know, there are those who, as they're doing the movement, they lose track of what God is actually trying to do, which is to win souls, whether they are in the upper echelons or whether they're in the lower class of society. So then God has to raise somebody else to go ahead and continue the work, you know, because this guy is kind of gone off track. So I think it's just a matter of just allowing everybody to develop, but at the same time, also keeping the vision clear, which is that we're winning souls in general. Yeah.
0: And then I think yeah. one thing that Evan Bevan says, mm-hmm. in addition to, it wasn't just that the church began to reach the upper echelons or that it was educating its its um, mm-hmm. clergy, it was also the message changed. So rather than it being a simple gospel message, which is what John Wesley was 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 all about, the message became uh, mixed with other things, with politics and with um, economics yes. and various other things, science, to kind of have topical debates, which is not what church is supposed to be about. Um, so, yeah, I think... Even though I found that challenging, I think if you keep the gospel message center, then the challenge doesn't there is no challenge, right? Because everybody needs the gospel, no matter yeah. what what salary they they earn or that's wherever it. they sit in society. No matter,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um But that's the key. Yeah, that's yeah. the key is to keep the gospel at the forefront and just to preach the gospel, you know, to preach the gospel and um, you know, to, to win souls. And in fact, that's what he says is that is the one of the main marks of every movement is it's it's an undying desire for evangelism and to really preach the gospel of christ you know and and that's the great commission that's what jesus told us to go and do
0: yeah yeah totally agree so we've mentioned about the things that were challenging to us personally but yes when you um read this what what do you think there are any things that maybe groups of christians or denominations might find controversial that just to because as I said this this podcast is aimed at Christians across the board right so yeah would you think that there's anything in the book that people may think oh I don't agree with that because of my denomination perhaps
1: yeah yeah um I think the education of the clergy and also you know the change in the spirit um I think sometimes in certain denominations uh we 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 try to put certain qualifications in the ministry that God himself has not put you know, we, 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 we try to push people, okay, become this, do this, you know, get this type of education or this degree or whatever, when God is not calling them to do that. You know, and sometimes what happens is that when you're in a particular denomination, you get so lost in the denomination that you actually end up following the denomination rather than following God. And, you know, um, that's something that we have to kind of uh, be, be very mindful of that it's about people as an, uh, you know, I, I always tell people that when I'm, when I'm dealing with, you know, members in my church, I try to deal with them as individuals, even though the church has a vision, we know where we're going. I know what God has called me to do, etc But when I'm dealing with people, I deal with them individually. What is God calling you to do? Yeah. And I don't want to be a blocker or, or, or someone who hinders that. So I think, um, um that was uh something that, you know, I think a lot of people will find uh kind of rubbing out rubbing them off in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, and um yeah, you know, and institutionalizing. Yeah, you know, yeah. where we become so institutionalized that, you know, people can't grow anymore.
0: I think what you you're saying is perhaps the older a church gets, yes, the more difficult it is to mm-hmm. Uh, maintain the original vision of whoever founded yeah. it but that being mm-hmm. said for those mm-hmm. of us mm-hmm. that are in younger churches the reality <laughs> is nobody like whilst we're here with this fire now supposed fire I'm putting it in inverted mm-hmm. commas mm-hmm. nobody really knows how long our denominations are going to last for right so Sorry. we have to kind of totally agree with what, everything that you're saying but then we're also mm-hmm. mindful I mean I speak for both of us I think that mm-hmm. um, younger doesn't mean better because no, nobody knows how all. much younger um how long younger's going to last for That's i think right. it's the the but the two bodies combined the two the younger and the old together mm-hmm. where we learn from each other's mistakes um mm. is what will bring the global church forward um yeah um
1: mm. another thing oh yeah, uh, uh, there's another quote that he mentioned um uh, it says here that over time the pioneering countercultural spirit of the methodist movement was domesticated He says, with the rise of the educated clergy and increased uh, social status came a further shift away from the original emphasis on holiness and the methods of the class meeting. And I think once the church ceases to be controversial and countercultural, not controversial, like, you know, we're looking out, we're going out there and intentionally trying to be controversial, but more so of... um, you know counter once we cease from being counter-cultural and trying to be accepted by the society rather than being a light to, to the society that's what happens and we become domesticated even you know individual persons within the church become domesticated you know there, there may be somebody who has a great calling but rather than being encouraged you know you're forced to be you know in a particular uh, particular way
0: yeah yeah totally agree mm-hmm. um you know, I, I wanted to say, so we didn't touch on this, but yes. I found I don't know if you did this, <laughs> this. I don't know if you did, but I found yeah. reading this book, right? That one of the things that really struck out to me is that Christianity is supposed to be contagious. Yes. I got that impression. I mean, as, in the first chapter, start as I read it, as soon as I started reading it, <laughs> I got the impression that actually in the early yes, in, in the <laughs> early in the early Methodist church movement it wasn't difficult there was no struggle Mm -hmm. I mean of course Mm -hmm. everything involves hard work but it was almost like a bit like we've all been through the pandemic so we know what a contagious disease like right (laughs) (laughs) as soon as you yeah as soon as you encounter a Methodist person you end up once you go to a society that's that's it you're hooked and I, I feel that that has challenged me because I'm not entirely sure if I I feel that level of um contagion Contagious, now.
1: Yeah. And so, that's wow. Uh,
0: what what Reverend has done that was really good is that as I was reading it, you know, you you, you can easily be mindful and begin to criticize where you are mm. or criticize the global church, but he says something that's really good that look, this movement st- stuff starts with you. You that's can't right. give out what you don't, you have. don't have. So yeah, right. rather than um um criticize and think why isn't the, govern- the current church like what the old mm-hmm. church was or is or you know the best thing is for us to all seek the Holy Spirit I think you said this earlier us bit mm-hmm. earlier so that we can become contagious as individuals so that right. people just want to be with us I mean mm-hmm. that, that I mean that yeah that was a major challenge for me and I think I wanted to say that point because for anyone who reads the book and they're actually thinking okay so how can I bring this to my church do i need mm-hmm. to break away and start again that no <laughs> may, that may be a mistake right
1: <laughs> yes you god is not just, calling you don't yeah. do that
0: <laughs> you may <laughs> just need to work on your own christianity that's to make right, yourself right, contagious um right. so that you can begin something where you are uh, a movement within a church that you're in rather than breaking it's away.
1: true you know there even even in the book he talks about how there were people who uh um, at a point, you know, rose up within the Methodist church and kind of stirred it back up again, yeah. you know, and um, I forgot the name of the guy, but he ended up becoming one of the great Methodist missionaries to America. Yeah. You know, he stirred up the American Methodist movement to the point where at one point it was actually, there was more people in the Methodist church in America than back in yeah. England, yeah. you know. So um, I think that's that's a very key thing that you mentioned is, is, is you know, being contagious, you know, having a Christianity that, um, you know, shines, you know, and 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 gr- captures people into what God is doing in your life because the Bible says, you know, as we let our light shine before men, they should see it and glorify yeah. our Father which is in heaven. So I always tell people that, you know, if, if people are not glorifying God in your school and your in your family, in your society, whatever, the first person you should look at is you. Yeah, right. Is your light shining bright enough? So I think that that's a key thing that I also see throughout this whole book and that's what people loved about the methodist movement it's like at one point everybody wanted to be a methodist it's the same thing with you know even the um um salvation army right it's like everybody wanted to join and i think this is what i think i think he with that point he mentions that the key to having a a movement that is contagious is being uh is, is is being able to uh make the movement relatable to the average person and in fact he talks about how john wesley even preached john wesley he said that John Wesley started to realize that his Oxford knowledge, right, was not really helping anybody when he tried <laughs> it to sound so intelligent, right? So he made his messages very practic- practical and relatable to the average person and thereby being able to reach so many people. So I think, you know, part of being contagious as, as a Christian is being relatable, yeah. you know, being, being relatable to people. It's like, man, it's like. I love the fact that I can relate with you, but there's something
0: about you that yeah, I like yeah, and I yeah, want that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. You know? And agree. then
1: that's what really makes us different. So Yeah, this,
0: yeah. this is it. This has been good. This has been good. So like um, I love it. Before we move on to the last three questions, is there anything else you want to like share with the audience about the book? Um, you know, that we haven't covered so far.
1: I would say make sure you read it. Okay, <laughs> <Isn't> that's <laughs> number one. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> please do. Like I said, it's, it's a very short book. Um, another thing that I love about the book is that it, it uh, I think we probably touched on this a little bit earlier, but it connects you. It connects you to what's happened before. Mm-hmm. And and that's so crucial that you need to know, uh, you know, church history, at least to some degree, and to know what has happened before so that you can be stared up to know what God can do with you. Because I think sometimes as, as believers, uh, you know, we, we're, we're, we lack uh, a capacity to, to expect the great moves of God and to expect, yeah. you know, something great. But when you read books like this, it actually increases your capacity. Like, okay, like, wait, if God can, like, do this, then I wonder what he can do in my generation, you know? Yeah. It's like, if you see somebody being blessed with something and, you know, you're on the same level with them, so to speak, it's like, well, if he can do that, then I can do this, you know? Yeah. And and that's what I loved mostly about this book was that it really stirred me up to see that man. You know, maybe who knows? God, I pray that you use me like John Wesley
0: someday. It. Yeah. <laughs> it was Billy Graham did that prayer, I think, right? That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he went to John Wesley's was it John Wesley's house that he yeah, went to. Yeah. And he was kneeled on the floor and he on the bed and he said, Lord, use Lord, me. If
1: you can use me like that, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. even yeah. Pastor Benny Hinn has prayed that prayer too. Yeah. yeah. You know, so
0: yeah. So it's possible. We've got all things are possible, right? okay and, so before we close off we have three questions that we um ask every wow. the guest just because <laughs> this is a podcast about books and reading do you have any tips like um how we can improve our reading habits
1: um so one of the ways that i say is you know i i usually like to read when i'm praying um you know sometimes when i'm as i'm you know i wake up in the morning i'm praying i'm fellowship with the lord praying in tongues you know and i just i read so um that's something you can do if you have a moment where you you know if you have times in your life or you should have times in your life where you know every day where you set aside time to pray but you can read during those times as well you can also read if you work uh during your breaks at work you know uh, sometimes you know some people get two breaks some people get three breaks you can use one of the breaks to read And also, when you're sitting on the great white throne, you know, (laughs) you know what that is. Um, You know, whether you're doing number two or three or four or five, you can, you know, you can read during that time as well. One of the things I love, um, you know, the great thing about our generation is that we have all these gadgets, you know, um, that are at our disposal. Like literally, you can have everything that can be done on a computer on your phone. And I love to read on my phone, you know, so rather than surfing through social media. So sometimes I I, I set a timer on my, um, on my, uh, what is it, iBooks? And, you know, I, I try to read even at least if it's just five minutes, right? Just sitting there, just reading, you know, going through it. And, you know, the, when you see the timer, it encourages you, it encourages you to, to keep going. So those are little tips on a white throne, you know, and even before you go to bed, yeah. when you lay in bed, you can tell yourself, you know, I'm going to read a chapter and 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 get going that way
0: yep that's what i do with mm-hmm. my bible um, <laughs> um who um is your favorite christian author oh that's you do you have a favorite christian author?
1: i'll say the holy spirit because you wrote the bible <laughs>
0: um, but, that's, a know, that's a cheat that's count. a cheat
1: right? you know but um honestly i let me put it this way um i don't have a favorite author so mm-hmm. to speak i enjoy uh you know a plethora of authors but i do have um favorite authors in different seasons of okay. my life um you know based on what god is doing so i remember um rick joiner you know he's somebody who is uh you know i love rick joiner's books but you know he was been he's been a favorite author for me in a particular season where you know i was yearning to hear the voice of god and to you know and to have dreams and visions mm-hmm. and to move into prophetic um, you know, so that was somebody that I read a lot of his books, and then now I've seen myself gravitating towards people like you know reverend bevins and you know other um uh i w- I hate to use the word theologically sound, but you know people like that so to speak because you can you can you know, call them theologians kind of you build... can call... you can call him a <laughs> theologian
0: yeah. right yeah that's that's um, so... <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I've been reading. I've, I don't know what it is, but I've just been reading some theolo- theologians, you know, yeah. in, in this season of my life. I don't know, it's because I'm also starting like a, kind of like a movement, so to speak. So God has gravitated me towards that. So I've been reading a lot, a lot of him. I've also been reading a lot of, uh, there's a guy by the name of Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser. He wrote a book called The On Sea Realm. He's one of the theologians that I highly recommend. He's he's uh, because he also believes a lot in the supernatural, and he explains a lot of you know the, the you know the supernatural, angels, demons, you know the dark side, you know all of that stuff. Okay. You know, from
0: And do you have um, three books that you would um, recommend? Christian books that you'd recommend um, to the audience?
1: This is one of them. Uh, this is one of them. Marxist the movement. This doesn't count. Uh,
0: another- you you can't recommend a ah, book that oh, we've spoken man. about. <laughs>
1: Come on, you make it hard. <laughs> um, I I would recommend um. The power, the power to Change the World. I don't know if it's still uh, circulated. I, I think I, I remember the last time you told me that you couldn't find a copy of it. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I found it
0: difficult. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's, you can it's, still get that.
1: I don't know if you can still get that, but hey, if you can, I highly recommend it. Power to Change the World by Rick Joyner. Um, another book that I would recommend, I got to throw this book in there as well, you know, by my spiritual father, Bishop Dad, The Good General. Yeah. Very, very good book very practical book that has changed my life. You know, um it's uh, it, it teaches you a lot about leadership, you know, and uh helping you to walk in the um in the call that God has, you know, placed upon your life and, and being able to practically lead. You know, um and then another book, who man, this is difficult. This is tough <laughs> because I like so many books. I love so many books. Um what other book will I give? uh there's a book by rejoiner called the final quest okay. that's a very good book as well yeah, yeah. um you know very very powerful book so i've given you four actually one on theology right i've given you one on leadership i've given you one uh, on supernatural on the supernatural and i've given you another one on history right um a history of revivals so
0: yeah well <laughs> thanks so much for your time possible we really enjoyed this conversation sure. and um you mentioned that you have a podcast and we can, on my website, I'll yes, put up I the do. links to Pastor Paul's um, podcast. So if you want to hear more from him, you can click on those links. Well, I think this episode speaks for itself. As Pastor Paul said, read the book. I really believe we can't fully understand the present that we live in if we don't know what's happened in the past. You can find a link to Marks of a Movement and all of the other books Pastor Paul recommended on my website www.genecabasomi.com slash podcast. That's www.gene, J-E-A-N, K-A-B-A-S-O-M-I, dot com slash podcast. If you are interested in hearing more about Pastor Paul's ministry, you can visit his website, www.paulconadu.com. That's www.paulp-a-u-l-conadu a.d.u.com. There'll also be a link to his site on my website. If you like this episode, could I please encourage you to do four things? One, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two and three, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, Addict, Audible, or somewhere else. It really helps the algorithm get the podcast into the hands of other potential listeners. And lastly, can I ask you to share this podcast with anyone who might be interested in hearing more about good Christian books? Well, that's all from me. Thanks for listening. God willing, I'll be back next week. Until then, keep reading and seeking the Lord. God bless. Bye.